Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Our discussion this week is a subject that we started talking about a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were thinking about Appellation Controle and all of, well, it was last week, wasn't it, that we yeah. talked about that. Um, and we started talking about, you know, the terms like Hoover and Google that have become the, the sort of trade names that have become verbs. So I'm going to Hoover the lounge. It doesn't really matter whether you're doing it with an Electrolux, a Hoover or a Dyson. Um, the term hoovering and everybody knows what you mean. Or I'm going, you know, what somebody asks you a question, you go, I'll Google it, regardless kind of, of what platform you use, what search engine you use. So that was the sort of start of it all. Um, but when you were doing your research, Tracy, did did you stick with that or did you? Because I had to go down a bit of another route because it became a bit of a non-event, really. <laughs> well, I, I, so after we had that conversation and we were like, yeah, Hoover, Google. And then, and what else? Yeah. <laughs> I really had to dig deep because I'd forgotten all of these things. Of course, I knew that Sellotape is a brand name, but we use Sellotape, don't we, for adhesive tape. Uh, I knew that um, Biro is a brand name, but I'd forgotten it. And it's because it has come to represent this generic product, isn't it? So um, after an initial sticky start, I sort of um, found myself running again. So it was okay. Um, I reminded myself that a tannoy, is a brand name and oh. it's a public address system airfix you know we talk about airfix don't we it's actually a, a model so um what else if jacuzzi yeah. how often do we use the word jacuzzi rather than hot tub i suppose and um america's got a few um that perhaps we don't necessarily use um Band-Aid we don't use, but that's a, a brand name. And um, Chapstick, I think we used that years ago, but that they use that as well, a... Lip we, don't we use, like, Lipsil? Lipsalve, yeah, Lipsil, yeah. Um, but, but the thing that I was really interested in and the article that caught my eye, apart from a big list of brand names that I'd forgotten about, is that Google had taken offence or objected to the use of their brand name for a generic product or service. So they're not so happy that to Google is becoming a word for something where you're just looking up anything on the internet, unless you actually use Google search engine to do it. And until reading this article, I was like, well, why would they complain about that? Surely for Google to become the name for that actual act of, of looking for something on the internet must be a good thing. Would you have assumed the same, Heather, or did you have an insight into this? Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't think for a minute that there would be anything negative about people using your your trademark, your company name, every time they're talking about searching the internet. Yeah, I just naturally assumed it would be a good thing. But reading this article in uh, Inc.com, um, they, they actually confirmed that actually becoming generic is can be bad because it can threaten the company's legal right to a trademark. So if your company name, which you've got trademarked, becomes this generic label, 
then you can't trademark it anymore. And they get this article was really interesting. It gave three examples of where this had happened. Apparently, aspirin was originally a trademark of Bayer. Escalator was originally a trademark of Otis Elevator Company. And Zipper, we don't tend to use Zipper, but Zipper um, was a trademark owned by BF Goodrich. So by by becoming famous and being used um, as a generic term actually meant that they couldn't trademark that anymore. And that would be Google's concern about being used as a verb. So that was their reluctance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they, they've been on to this since, um, I think, as way way back as 2006 when Google was actually added to the dictionary. Uh, it was added to the Merriam-Webster dictionary in 2006, and Google weren't very happy about that. <laughs> well, I, I think that... I mean, you know, I mean, you've met, you've already mentioned, you know, some like jacuzzi. I mean, the jacuzzi was invented by the jacuzzi brothers, but they actually were the business that they that they ran um, wasn't actually making jacuzzis or hot tubs originally. Um, they were making air. They were involved with aircraft and um, um, manufacturing and design of aircraft. And then um, one of the um, one of the brother one of the children of one of the jacuzzi men um was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis so they invented a pump that could be put into the bath which would um have the jacuzzi effect and would then massage and be a type of hydrotherapy treatment so they didn't even set out to make a jacuzzi they set out to fix a problem that one of their children was experiencing and then then it went on um to be you know whirlpool baths and and jacuzzis and hot tubs but yeah you know, it, if somebody it, came along now and introduced themselves as mr jacuzzi you'd think they were having a laugh wouldn't you you <laughs> you would well it, yes it would be you would say yeah very funny i guess but but also things like uh, cash point so you know atm yeah but we all say well we're going to the cash point well lloyd's bank owned the term cash point did they really i didn't yeah know. it's actually an atm isn't you know an automatic teller machine isn't it yeah it's basically just a cash dispenser but we all say go to the cash point we don't say go to the link machine or go to the <laughs> no. um atm at Barclays or whatever so I've got to go to the cash point so um yeah and actually funnily enough I was um I came across a term just this week that I'd never come across before and that's about people who are trademark trolls okay so they actually seek out people who um perhaps have a, a, a phrase or or some sort of um trademark word that they use and then they go and trademark it and then try to prevent you from using it. Oh, that's mean. I've heard about the people that go and register um, domain names. Yeah, yeah I think this has happened a few I times. Think this is sort of the modern day equivalent of that. Mm. But uh, yeah. The other um, trademark um, and brand name that I should mention is. Um, Durex, because it's got two different meanings in England and in Australia and also Brazil, I didn't realise. So if you if you want some Durex in Australia, you're asking for adhesive tape, tape. 
Um, obviously, I, if you're asking for Durex in England, you're going to get something completely different, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> would you be polite enough to to say if somebody handed you a roll of sellotape, would you say what? Well, that's not actually what I had in mind. <laughs> I think it depends on who it, who it was and where I was at the time. <laughs> in our other news section this week, uh, I want to talk about an article that I found this week, but it actually was written back in, in September and it appeared in The Guardian. And the headline was the thing that caught my eye. And the headline was, a robot wrote this entire article, Are You Scared Yet Human? Oh. I thought, oh, what's all that about? Were you, were you meant to be scared? Was it a horror? Well, well this, if somebody asks you that, then you, you do sort of think, well, should I be? That's yeah. the first. I wasn't, but maybe now I should be. <laughs> So essentially what it was, it's an article that has been written, as you might imagine, by a robot. As, and when I say robot, I mean some software effectively that's called. So you know how they write the title of the um, article and then they put who wrote it. Well, the author's name is GPT-3. Oh, OK. Right. And GPT is Generative Pre-trained Transformer 3 which ah. is an autoregressive language model that uses deep learning to produce human-like text. Of course it is. You with me so far? Yeah. Okay. So essentially what they did was they gave, so this is artificial intelligence, obviously. So what they did was they told this software that they wanted it to write an article about the fact that the, um, that the, that the article was being written by artificial intelligence. So the, the the premise was it needs to be about 500 words. It needs to be simple and concise, needs to focus on why humans have nothing to fear from artificial intelligence. And it was given the opening line. I am not a human. I am artificial intelligence. Many people think I'm a threat to humanity. Stephen Hawking has warned that AI could spell the end of the human race. I am here to convince you not to worry. Artificial intelligence will not destroy humans, believe me. And then the whole article just continues along that vein and gives examples of um, how the world couldn't, uh, uh, how artificial intelligence couldn't exist without human interaction, um, how the Industrial Revolution, um, and we've talked about, you know, the, the modern, the, what is it? What is it? Industrial Revolution 4, is that, yeah. are we on 4 now? Um, yeah. you know, how that means that actually this is about progress and it's not about um, forgetting everything that's gone before. But it's a really interesting article. And what they say at the end, um, and I'll put a link to it on our, on our blog, um, but what they say at the end is that actually they, um, they ended up with about eight different texts, texts that had been written by AI. And then they picked out the best bits, merged them together and got this article. And they said, but actually it took less time to edit than many human written pieces. Um, pieces. So the, the software managed to present slightly different arguments. It didn't just churn out eight identical pieces of work. And I, 
I just thought it was fascinating that that this semi intelligent, although at its own admission, this software says I don't feel, I don't have emotion, but I I I control the internet and find information, access information, and then assimilate that and build an argument. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And, what and do you reckon? Write, write an article that you can read and not feel uncomfortable with. So it's yeah. communicating in a way that it is uh, straightforward. Well, yeah. okay, I like that. I like the idea that they're saying they're not threatening, but do you believe them? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> say well, that, wouldn't they? <laughs> if man tells them to be threatening, then they'll be threatening. <laughs> yeah, I think probably the greatest risk to humans is other humans. <laughs> well, that's absolutely fascinating, yeah. What have you? What, what have you got? Do you, have you got anything as spooky? <laughs> well, funny you should say that. Five cyber threats we face in twenty twenties, in the twenties. Oh. So in the next ten years. Um, so I, I, I'm shamefaced to admit that I've, I pulled this article. I thought it was really interesting, and I can't remember where I pulled it from. So I'm going to name check some of my favourite inboxes. Is it Business Weekly? Is it Management Today? Is it Computer Weekly? Is it Computer World? I'm really sorry. I don't know which one it is, but it is a very good article. Uh, it dropped into my inbox just earlier this week. Um, and they, they talk about these five threats um, so that you can be forewarned, forewarned is forearmed indeed. Um, and basically, they reckon you should take all this on board in your resilience planning and get your business ready for the decade to come. Now, I can underline this um, this preparedness because uh, the company I work for, it's a global company, 36,000 employees around the world. They've just mandated cybersecurity training for every single one of those 36,000 employees. The entire workforce? The entire workforce, everybody wow. from the ground up. And okay. uh, so, you know they're taking this really seriously. So let's start at number one, ransomware. Um, we, we talked about that um, many times about the way that um, ransomware has been um, used to cripple um, many companies, uh, literally holding their data or their means of production or providing service to ransom. And um, as as the companies are starting to tighten up on security, this article says that the experts are going to um, expect less of a scattergun approach because companies are tightening up. What you're going to find is a lot more sophisticated but highly targeted ransomware attacks. So go for specific companies that put their effort into the the big win, I take it. You know, might take a lot of work, it's, but it's going to be sophisticated and highly targeted. And then phishing. I mean, who doesn't get a million phishing emails a week? Um, yeah. But that's just going to increase even more. They're becoming more and more sophisticated. Um, and a lot of companies are putting defences in place. However, there are other ways to fish that are not emails. So companies have to be aware of um, pop-ups, adverts, different links on websites that you might unwittingly click. So um, I think what they're advising in this article is that you you need to upskill your staff socially and culturally 
because the aim of the fishers is to deceive. And so they're going to hack web pages. They're going to try and direct you towards malicious sites. It's not necessarily just going to be a phishing email. And then there's malware. So apparently malware is going to go mobile as the continued use of mobile banking applications mm -hmm. is, is increasing. So the cyber criminals are going to follow the money and they're going to be aiming to steal payment data and login details from our phones. So nothing to worry about there. <laughs> um, also, you know, phones have got Apple and Google Pay, haven't they? So yeah. I think the target is they just go straight for those devices. And so what, what they're suggesting in this article is that you have to be careful again about what websites you visit, because it's the malware you get from the websites that will install on your mobile devices. So just being careful with that. Um, and then the some security experts apparently are claiming that we're on the edge of a new Cold War. And so, so geopolitical tensions so essentially, they're saying coordinated attacks aimed at whole countries' financial services from other um, countries, um, or maybe looking at ways of crippling national infrastructure and also private sector, because you know that can have a big knock-on effect to um, the whole country. Um, and the, what was the fifth thing was that there is hope on the horizon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the hope uh, here is that boards are becoming more cyber aware. So, like I say, with the company that I work for, this was a top down initiative. It wasn't somebody in the IT department that said all of the employees around the world need to do this training. This came from the very top. And so I think that's a reflection of the fact that the board has got the appetite to, to look at cybersecurity from that level. And I think that this article is basically saying that boards need to have a strategic view of cybersecurity so that they can um, be proactive rather than reactive and strategic rather than tactical. So it's, a, it's a worrying with the rise of the Internet of Things and cloud computing and everything on the phones. And I think it's you really do have to make sure that you stay on top of the latest advice with this. Um, just this week, Heather, didn't your email, uh, your Facebook send invitations to, not your yep. Facebook, but a lot of people that you knew sent yep. invitations out, be my friend, picture yep. you. Fortunately, the, the, it only had three friends, but three people had already accepted. Um, and you know, it's been alert to those sort of things. This hasn't come from your Facebook account. You haven't been hacked. It's somebody picking up on the fact that, some you've got some friends who might just mm. fall for that and then click on that link i think that's the big thing and certainly when you're talking about what you, what the organization you work for is doing i know i was at a, a webinar at the start of lockdown actually the first lockdown and um and one of the big things is that staff don't in a don't um if they're working at home in particular they may have uh, less security measures in place and it's not that they intentionally go and think, oh, let's have a look at that, even though it looks a bit risky. It just happens by accident um, and can cause untold problems. So um, I hope, yeah, I, th I think all power to the elbow of the people that you work for, that they're doing it, as you say, from the top down. I think that's fantastic.
And I will find the, um, the magazine that I got the article from so that we can share it on our blog, which is on our website with the podcast, thebusiness.community. You're listening to The Business Community on Callan FM. And this week, we're reviewing a book that I'm holding in my mitts. It's not always the case that I get a physical copy of a book, is it, Heather? It's normally you get the book, I get the Kindle version. Yes, because we know what we like. Yes, we do. But I've got the physical copy, so have you. And I noticed from um, the camera on Zoom, yours is full of post-it notes. Mine isn't, although I've got a few corners turned down where I've marked the page. So my the best thing I can say about this book is I've read it all. So it has to be good for me to actually finish a book if I'm on a deadline. It's called Irrepressible and it's by a lady called Kathy Madaven and the subtitle is 12 Principles for a Courageous, Resilient and Fulfilling Life. And this is your recommendation, Heather. So where did you find out about this book? I found out about the book because uh, a guy who I particularly like, a guy called Paul McGee, an, another author who wrote a book called um, Sumo, Shut Up, Move On. Um, and I think I think we've probably reviewed that or certainly mentioned that book in the past. He wrote the foreword for the book. Uh, and I think it was I think he was sharing it on his LinkedIn feed or something like that. Uh, so I thought, OK, I'll check it out because I like his thinking. I like the way that he um, that he writes and for him to be writing the foreword of a book, I thought it might have some mileage in it. So um, so that's how I came across it. Um, I I have filled it with um, post-it notes. Uh, it's I haven't read it all, um, but that's purely from a time point of view. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to read it all. But as Anybody who regularly listens to to us talking about books, they will um, they will appreciate the fact that I love a book that summarizes what it's saying throughout. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so at the end of each chapter, there is a summary and there are some questions to ask yourself and some things that you might want to consider. And that's something that I really like. So how do you feel about that structure? Did it work for you when you were reading the entire book, Tracy? It did. I have to admit that I read it like a novel. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, I need to go through this more as a textbook. But I didn't. I just read it through cover to cover as a novel and made a note to myself to come back. So I, I read all of the, the questions at the end. So the, the bits where it, it suggests that you self-reflect, but I didn't process them. So I took right. them on board and noted that they were questions that I would come back and potentially answer but actually I, I read it as if I was just reading uh, you know a fiction novel yeah and and it is written very much in a she she is a storyteller isn't she she yeah. you know she gives you examples of her life and scenarios etc so that you can you can sort of map onto it and relate back to the way that she's thinking yeah and perhaps I wasn't quite in the right frame of mind uh, over the um, few days when I was reading this. So I'd had a couple of days annual leave this week. So I, I took the opportunity to read during that. And it was really just relaxation time. And I potentially wasn't in the right frame of mind to be quite so reflective. I wanted entertaining. Yeah. So yeah. Having, having read it, 
then I think it is a good one. Maybe you take a chapter at a time and spend some time reflecting on the questions. Because I'm just looking at one now, when the horse is dead, dismount. That one made me uh, smile indeed. I've, I've dismounted a few dead horses in the past. <laughs> <laughs> There are six questions there. And actually, to to do them justice, you do need to spend some time answering and and examining where you are and your thoughts on those questions. Whereas actually, this time, I sort of glossed over them and moved on to the next story, the next chapter. Mm. Did you spend time reflecting? Well, I what I actually did was I spent time looking at the questions and then because the chapters have got um, there, they're, well, they're 12 principles effectively and there's a chapter on each. So she's given them titles and that's fine. So what I actually did was I spent time looking at the questions and reflecting on what I would call those questions. Right. So we this from the point of view of being a trainer as well. So it wasn't just about your self-improvement. It was how you could use this material as a trainer and a coach. Yeah, well, it, I think it was about tra- not that it's written in, in any complex language at all. You know, it's really easy to access. Um, but I just so, for example, her, the, start, the first principle is know your irrepressible purpose. Now, for me, I go, OK, right. What does that mean? Well, actually, it kind of, to me, it means what's your why? What's yeah. you know, so so I did that throughout. So when we got to the um, where you had the uh, when the horse is dead, dismount, um, I got I, I wrote embrace change. So it's just my interpretation. Looking at those questions, what what how would I dress that up? How would I label that if I needed to? to give myself some time to to you know right make good choices question and reflect feed your soul so i've kind of relabeled things so that they frame for me and my language effectively tell me what i did really like and i'm gonna guess that you did as well um is the quote at the beginning of every chapter yeah yeah Absolutely. At the beginning really got me. This is what set me off on the good path. So it's a quote from Pablo Picasso. And it says, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. I love that. Yeah. really struck a chord with me. Yeah. And and we've got Maya Angelou in there. We've got Steve Jobs in there. There's there's a whole range of fantastic um, quotes that set the scene and set the tone uh, one great thing i don't know did you go along to her website or did you I just concentrate yeah. on the book yeah. well on her website so because i wanted to i wanted to see her i wanted to get a sense of who she is um i found a little a couple of little videos she she does a lot of keynote um speeches but on her website, for anybody who is interested um, but doesn't really want to splash out on the book, you can download free of charge the questions from each of the chapters. Oh, that's good. Which is very generous. Um, and, and and actually, you get the opportunity to, to do that, to look at those questions. And yes, it would be great if you'd read the chapter that that feeds into them and explains the rationale. But if nothing else... You could do some work, particularly during this coming lockdown, if you want to focus on, you know, thinking, really thinking about where you fit in, how you respond to situations, um, 
how you find your tribe, what habits have you got, those types of things, and how do they serve you? You can get all of that free of charge by going to her website, and her name is Kathy Medavan, and I think it's .com. I think it's .com. That's really useful. Can I end this section with, with a Winnie the Pooh quote? Yeah, go this on. From chapter eight, or rather principle eight, fill up your tank. I don't feel very much like poo today, said Pooh. There, there, said Piglet. I'll bring you tea and honey until you do. Brilliant. Brilliant. Would you recommend this book to to, to our listeners? Would you? I would. I was thinking about who I could buy it for for Christmas. <laughs> we had this conversation last week, didn't we? Yes. Now, yeah. I think basically until Christmas now, we should just be reviewing books that we might potentially buy for other people. Yes. Um, and then at least we won't buy them for each other because we'll know that we've each got a copy. Good point. Good point. <laughs> and you, Heather, you'd, you'd recommend it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think actually um, it's it would be a good bo book for young people and people like us who've been around the block a few times because it'll either teach you something or it'll remind you of something that you need to do or, or could think about doing so yeah loved it yeah good book our profile this week um is of a, a gentleman whose name tracy is um is thinking i'm not going to be able to pronounce and i think you're absolutely right because even though we looked it up and listened um, I'm not entirely sure that I'm going to get this right. But the gentleman in question is Danish and he was born on the 4th of November 1972. And given that we are recording this on the evening of the 4th of November, um, it's actually his birthday. So happy birthday, yeah. Anders Holsch Povsen. Well done. I've not got reckon? whether that's right, but it sounds <laughs> quite good to me. He is, as I say, Danish. He is a billionaire. And he's the, the CEO and the sole owner of the international clothes retailer chain Best Seller, which amongst um, many of its labels uh, includes Jack Jones. Um, it, the company was founded by his parents and um, they are the largest and, and he he is the largest shareholder, I believe, in ASOS.com. That's great, isn't it? Have I said that? Yeah, that is right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So so basically clothes are his business and have been for a very long time. The family set up a small um, clothes store in 1975 in the small Danish town of Brand uh, with oh, an I've E on the end. I've got ring cobbing. I was wondering how you were going to pronounce it. Oh, in the small Danish town of Brand, according to Wikipedia, but okay. um, according to Forbes, oh well, it's, I'm sure that's more accurate. Uh, it says in the small Danish town of Rinkobing. Okay, okay. What well, it was it's in, in a small Danish town. Yes, in a small Danish town. <laughs> but anyway, so clothes are their business, and he has made a considerable wealth from being involved with um with clothing uh what were you able to find out about him tracy because i really struggled to find anything about his management style his leadership style and the way that he runs his businesses other than obviously successfully 
Yes. So um, limited on the business side, but absolutely intriguing in another way. So let's get this over with. His real-time net worth um, this week was $10.9 billion, and that's from uh, Forbes' website. The thing that really intrigued me is that he owns more than 1% of all the land in Scotland, and he owns large reserves in Romania, with the aim of protecting wolves, bears, and lynxes. Okay. So we've not come across that before with any of the people we've profiled, have we? So that stood out quite a little bit. Yeah. I also understand that um, he's he's sort of got this mission to rewild the estates and the land that he buys, and uh, he's planting trees. Um, and, and, and basically um, enriching the environment. So he's buying land to protect and to to grow, which I think is the most fascinating thing I've found out about any of our profilees so far. Yeah, I mean, we often hear about people who have amassed wealth, spending it, you know, philanthropically or, you know, setting up a, a, a charity or a foundation or something. But this is very much about, I mean, he's the single, he's the single, he, he's the private person who owns the most land in Scotland so he must own more than the royal family or he's basically just buying up bits of Scotland and amassing this 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 estate. But he, as you say, he's doing it. He's doing it for the country. He apparently he came to Scotland when he was quite young on a fishing trip and um, and absolutely loved it and has always sort of harboured a love for the country and clearly um, continues to. To, to buy up bits of it and, and he Romania set up well. sorry and Romania as well and Romania yes yes but he set up a company called Wildland Limited and I think that that is where most of the the, the property sits I don't know if it, but but I suppose if it's his personal wealth it must be him personally mustn't it if he's the private landowner well, one of the things I've learned from all this time uh, profiling these incredibly wealthy people is that their ownership and tax status is very complicated. Yes. I'll just accept that they've said he's worth that much and he owns that land. The mechanisms for doing that, I have no idea, I'm afraid. <laughs> right. OK, well, we'll just, yeah, we'll accept it. But that said, I did come across an article. Um, so he appears in the Scottish newspapers quite a lot. Um, he's had some significant tragedy in his life where he lost three of his four children um, in the terrorist attack in Sri Lanka. Um, he seems to name all of his children with a name that begins with A. Um, so A features um, features highly, but it, he experienced that, that terrible tragedy, he and his wife, um, have recently um, or fairly recently had um, twins. So um, they uh, they appeared in the paper for that. But a st an article that I found last year, this is before all of the stuff about um, free school meals that's been in the press um, during COVID. He um, he paid for packed lunches for youngsters across the north of Scotland um, who are missing out on free meals at school. Nursery and primary primary 
primary age youngsters across a 500 square mile area of the far north will benefit from a community project which has been funded by him. Uh, and basically, they really are talking about the very, very top of Scotland. If you've ever been there, um, it, it's, it's Tong, Betty Hill and Melvich. Betty Hill is right on the top. I've been there. It is very... Um, it's very unique. It, the population is very widespread and dispersed. Kids would have traveled, would travel a long way to go to school. So they were paying for lunches to be delivered twice a week for 10 weeks. And they would also be filled with puzzles and activities and things like that. Uh, so, um, yeah, so he, that's how he's, he's, he, he's just a, a total lover of Scotland. Like that's, it just comes through in everything that that you, that you read about him. And also, should add that in 2018, Forbes said he was the richest Dane. Okay. Okay. And the only the only reference I found to a management style is um, aggressive techniques to facilitate tree growth. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that tr translates into any of his uh, his business management style, uh, but that that's the only <laughs> reference I found. Aggressive techniques to facilitate tree growth. But he took over um, bestseller, so the company um, where his fortune comes from. He took that over at the age of twenty eight. So that's this, young, isn't it? Yeah, so that's a, a development, and presumably he he learned from his family and he learned well and quickly as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely fascinating gentleman, and um, I'd I'd love to know a bit more about his management style. Maybe we'll revisit him one day. I think it yes, it it it, it has been very hard to find out how much time he spends in the boardroom and or um, on the shop floor. But he must be doing something right because the business seems to be going from strength to strength. So we yeah, watch this space. If you if you shop at ASOS, if you shop um, at uh, what's it, Jack? What's his name? Jack and Jones and Jack and Jones. Jones. Yeah, see, this just goes over the top of my head. This because it's not my sort of stuff. But um, you're probably helping to keep um, part of Scotland stocked up with deer and pine martins and whatever it is that he's uh, wolves, that he's involved with. Romania wolves and um, or Romanian wolves. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note. That's all we've got time for this week. We do hope you've enjoyed the show. Please join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. <laughs>